0: You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church, J-Town. The great theologian Augustine of Hippo once said that in the Old Testament, the new is concealed. In the new, the old is revealed. When we think of the Messianic prophecies from this perspective, we see that the Old Testament whispers to us about the coming of the Messiah. Join us during our Advent sermon series titled Rumors of the Messiah, where we confirm the whispered prophecies of the Old Testament that told of the birth, suffering, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if you're just joining us, we are in a series that we we normally do during this time of the year. We kind of call it an Advent series. Um, This year, we're just doing a series entitled Rumors of Jesus, where we're just looking at different Old Testament passages that points directly to the coming of Christ, even though uh, these writers like Isaiah didn't fully know fully who they're talking about when they wrote uh, what they said about Jesus. Uh, like specifically in Isaiah 53, wrote this 700 years before uh, Jesus showed up on the scene. And so we're just trying to help you make some connections between the old and the new. There's a common theme throughout both Testaments, and that common theme is Jesus. And if you're unfamiliar with what Advent is, um, it's it's a way for us to celebrate Christmas. Advent comes from the Latin word to That means kind of coming and arrival. Uh, And so if you are a a follower of Jesus Christ, you're kind of living in between the two comings. Uh, The first coming that we celebrate every Christmas is, you know, obviously when he first came. And then uh, there's there's another coming that we're longing for, we're praying for, and we're seeking after. And that's the second coming of Jesus. And so kind of in this in-between is a a period of time where we, we realize longings that we have. Uh, desires that we have, uh, unmet desires that we have. Um, and and it's interesting, I would even put before you that during the Christmas season, uh, it seems like these longings really come to light in all of us or these unmet desires or even um, suffering and pain comes to us in, in unique ways during this season. And, and my prayer uh, today specifically is I'm not um, sometimes when you do the nine o'clock, you come in and go, ah, you know, you're like, ah, maybe some, make some adjustments. I, I, I don't want to always just kind of leave us heavy. I, I'm, I'm trying to step into what I even experienced during this season and what I think a lot of us experienced during this season. So what I want to try to do today is I want to do my best to try to help you see uh, one of the promises that Advent puts before us. And that is this, is that there's a promise of presence. I mean, the angel said, you will name the child Emmanuel because Emmanuel means God with us. And what I would would say um, and put before you that I think one of the greatest longings that we have as human beings is a longing for a loving presence. We don't necessarily... um, want answers to the pain that we're going through, the suffering that maybe at some level we sort of kind of do. We have a tendency to always ask the question why, why, why? But I would also put before you that um, deep down in, in, in our psyche here, what we need as human beings is not answers. What we need in our suffering and in our pain is presence. And that's part of the promise of Advent, we know for certain that we have the presence of God with us specifically in really deep, dark times in our life. Now, let me show you where I'm kind of getting this. And Isaiah 53 is, man, wow, there's a lot in this passage. I can feel do a whole year of sermon series in Isaiah 53. And, and sometimes when you're looking at a passage that's so rich and dense, it's like, all right, I, I think I'm going to narrow in. And what I'm doing this morning is I'm kind of narrowing in a little phrase, but just to give us a little context and encourage you to go and maybe read this uh, in your devotional time or in some spare time over the course of this week, seeing so kind of just marinate in this chapter because it is a great chapter. This is the last of Isaiah's servant songs. and. And the interesting thing about this specific poem here or or prophecy that we have about this coming servant is that this coming servant is going to be one who suffers. It's the one that comes that heals and rescues the nations. but specifically, the servant is going to come and suffer, and this is something if you read the Gospels that was really hard for people to get their mind around of that that they get this idea of the Messiah, God's Messiah coming and conquering like that's that's what they're wanting, expecting, but this idea of a Messiah who would come and willingly be conquered they just didn't get it. I mean you see it over and over, even with his closest followers. And I don't know if you remember this story where where Jesus predicts his death, his suffering and death, and then Peter, you know, steps in and like good old Peter fashion says, no, you won't. Like, we're with you. We'll go after those guys. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're going to fight for you. That's not what happens to you. And then Jesus looks at Peter and, and says in a really stern voice, get behind me, Satan, because what Peter was saying was demonic, trying to keep him from doing what God had planned for him to do that we even hear in Isaiah 53 that this servant is going to come and suffer willingly I mean, look what he says here starting in verse 2 he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of the dry ground he didn't have an impressive form or, or majesty that would you know that we should look at him no appearance that we should desire him. So first of all, let's acknowledge this. I've already alluded to this at the beginning, uh, but the he that we're talking about here all throughout chapter 53 is Jesus. And so you can actually go through this chapter and and replace he or him and put Jesus in there. And the reason why we make this connection is because the writer of the gospel of Matthew, Matthew himself, makes this connection in chapter eight. So when Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law of some Huge sickness. This is what Matthew says specifically in verse seventeen, quoting Isaiah fifty-three verse six. He says this so that what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah, referring back to chapter fifty-three, might be fulfilled. He himself took our weaknesses and carried our diseases. So even though Isaiah did not know this, the suffering servant that Isaiah is speaking about is fulfilled in Jesus. He is the he all throughout this passage. Secondly, notice that in verse two, we see that Jesus, there is nothing outwardly impressive about him. Everything that we value in the culture that we live in, Jesus did not have. Actually the word majesty that you see in the second half of verse two, where it says, he, referring to Jesus, did not have an impressive form or majesty. That word signifies the outward impressiveness expected of an important person. And so the servant that Isaiah is talking about here was not noticeably well-built, impressive Handsome. Most things that we value in our society, Jesus did not have. That's one of the reasons why it was so hard for people when Jesus showed up on the scene to believe in him because there was nothing about him that looked very impressive. He looked very homely and unattractive. And so it's like, I'm not really sure he is God's Messiah. That even when uh, Peter makes this confession about who Jesus is in Matthew 16. When Jesus asks him, Say, Well, who do you say I am? Peter responds, this is one of the times where Peter says something that's like, Oh, amen. Good job, Peter. Way to go. Usually he's putting his foot in his mouth. But he says this, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And immediately when Peter says this, what does Jesus go and do? He doesn't say, Oh, great job, Peter. You did it. No, he says, No, this is this is a blessing. You've been given this revelation from, from that which above, but my father himself is the one that's revealed this to you. You don't come up with this on your own, that apart from the spirit of God, we cannot know and see and understand who Jesus is. And even if you would go home tonight and read through Isaiah chapter 53 again, you would see that every reference to us, which is you and me, we don't get it. We don't understand. We don't see that our condition is such that without God's spirit, none of us would worship Jesus. None of us would give our lives to Jesus. None of us, none of us would ever see him as the beautiful one, the one who is worthy of all worship. That's why every single Sunday when we get together, guys, and you hear me say this, or whoever comes and prays after the reading of the word, we ask this every week that God would open our eyes that God would help us see. And part of my prayer this week for us, even as we look at this passage, is that he would help us, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, to see and be drawn to the person of Jesus. That our hearts would be awakened to the beauty of Jesus, that we would see him as he truly is and what he's revealed about himself even here in chapter 53. But notice verse 3, and this is where I kind of want to lean in this morning. The first half of verse, 30, verse 3 says this, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. I, I like a little bit more of how the NIV translates it. It's, it kind of carries a nuance that, that seems to kind of capture the, the original language here where it says verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. So notice here, Isaiah is giving us a summary of the life of Jesus in these two phrases. A man of sorrow. Now, it doesn't mean he was like Eeyore, you know, or if you're a Saturday Night Live fan, he was, he's not Debbie Downer. It doesn't mean, you know, everywhere he went, oh, here comes the Downer guy. He's going to bring everything down and bring out some kind of horrible thing. No, obviously we know as we read through the Gospels that Jesus, who was a religious person, was always invited over to unreligious people's home in order to have dinner. And so there's something about the very presence of Jesus was magnetic. He was, there was a joy about him. And so he's not this constant downer or eor. It's just helping us see that Jesus is one who experienced pain. He's a man of tears. He's familiar with suffering, this word that's used for familiar, it, it does mean this idea of no, but it, it has more to do with like this experiential knowledge. It's not just knowing that, you know, one plus one equals two. No, there's an experience of suffering that Jesus has here. The incarnation here of God becoming flesh. Listen, guys, it's really gritty. It's not so sanitized like we think it is. The incarnation is a, a gritty reality. One of the things that um, it's almost like I have this sort of um, weird love-hate relationship with uh, Christmas songs, and one of the things that I noticed specifically uh, within the Christmas songs that we sing as a church, like church at large at Christmas time when you sing those songs, they have a real melancholy tone. Do they not? They they sound really depressing, and so. Maybe you guys don't think that. I think there's like four people that laughed about that. But one of the things that I always have to prepare myself on the first Sunday of Advent, and I talked to Tony about this and uh, talked to Rick a little bit, me and Ellie would always have a conversation about this, is i got to prepare myself because it just feels such a downer service. Now, I do think there's a couple of reasons why that's the case. It's like usually the Sunday, the first Sunday of Advent, Advent is following what? Holiday? thanksgiving and we're all just like in a food coma amen it's like we come in here we're already like and then we then we sing oh come oh come Emmanuel keep singing like this and I'll close my eye right I mean it's just so like Oh, my goodness. And maybe it tells more about my own heart. Maybe I want to be more like Chevy Chase. Joy to the world. Like, I just want a, a lot of energy rolling in here. And and like I said, maybe it just shares more of my own immaturity. I don't know what it is. But the reality is this. is, is If all we did was kind of the Chevy Chase style, it doesn't, um, it doesn't reflect our human experience, does it? And I would even put before you that it doesn't reflect the experience of Jesus. That even in the midst of his birth, there are moms who are weeping and crying because their two-year-old son is being murdered. The incarnation is gritty. Jesus came down from heaven and went further still to the very depth of human shame and suffering. Jesus shared in the most painful and dark aspects of human experience. As one writer puts it, Jesus is not Zeus. He was a sinless man, not a sinless Superman. He woke up with bedhead. He had pimples at 13. Amen. Teenagers. Teenagers. He never appeared on the cover of men's health. He came as a normal man to normal humanity. He knows what it is to be thirsty, hungry, despised, rejected, scorned, shamed, embarrassed, abandoned, misunderstood, falsely accused, suffocated, tortured, and killed. He knows what it is to be lonely. His friends abandoned him when he needed him the most. Had he lived today, every last Twitter follower and Facebook friend would have unfriended him When he had turned 33 years old, he who will never unfriend us in his incarnation, Jesus identifies with us in all forms of suffering. And look, this is such good news for all of us, no matter if you're a Christian or not a Christian. And the reason why it's good news for all of us is that we all suffer. Suffering is no respecter of a person We all go through painful times. That is the norm of life. No one escapes this life with no scars or battle wounds. In one way, what summarizes the life of Jesus also mirrors our lives. We will suffer to live in and of itself is to suffer. And here's also why it's good news is this. Because our tendency, when we're going through something that is really painful and suffering, and the more difficult it is, the more alone we think we are. So it's like a, a real combination here of like, whenever you're going through a really difficult time and suffering, there's something that happens in us intuitively to where we think we're on an island. No one gets this. No one understands this pain. No one can comprehend the suffering that i'm going through we 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 intuitively think we are alone and here's what i want to say to you this is not true it's not it is not true, and not only do we see it in Isaiah 53, we also see it in Hebrews chapter four, where the writer of Hebrews is trying to help us better understand what it means that Jesus is our high priest. And I you know, I may be speculating a little bit, but I'm telling you what, the writer of Hebrews was very familiar with Isaiah 53 and describing the life of Jesus as one of man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, because look what he says here in the first half of verse 15. For we do not have a high priest, who is unable to sympathize. Sit with that for a second. We do not have a high priest whose name is Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We naturally think that Jesus is with us, that he's on our side, that he's present and helping when life is good. But this passage of scripture is stating the very opposite. It is saying that in our weaknesses, in our pain, in our suffering, he sympathizes. And that word sympathizes is weighty. And here's what it means. As one writer puts it, sympathize says it's a depth of felt solidarity, Such as is echoed in our own lives most closely only as parents to children. Jesus is pained in our suffering and hear this. He feels the suffering as his own even though it isn't. Not that his Invincible divinity is threatened, but in the sense that his heart is feeling drawn into our distress, his human nature engages our troubles comprehensively. His is a love that cannot be held back when he sees his people in pain. This is what is at the heart of what Isaiah is trying to get across when he says, our savior, Jesus Christ, this, this servant is familiar with, With sufferings, the author goes on and says this Jesus is in such solidarity with us. Whatever difficult path you are on right now, no matter the path, it's not unique to you. Jesus has journeyed on this path himself. If you are in Christ, you have a friend who, in your sorrow, will never lob down a pep talk from heaven. He cannot bear to hold himself at a distance. Nothing can hold him back. His heart is too bound up with yours. So the promise of Advent is not only does Jesus understand it, not only does he get whatever pain and suffering that you are going through, the greatest news is this, is that he is with you. That he is present with you, which I said at the very beginning, I would say it again is that you're, that's the greatest longing that you have is that your heart hungers for the presence of another because presence communicates something words cannot. That's why I said at the beginning, I don't think you're after answers, I think you're after presence. Most of us has probably experienced this even if you're not a parent because as a kid, you did this. So if you've got a four or five-year-old, uh, there's probably some time, if not every night, um, your child is convinced that there's some kind of monster in their room, right? Whether it's in the closet, underneath the bed, wherever. They're convinced. They can't go to sleep. And usually what happens in those situations. And we did this. So just, just to know, you you and I did this, right? And if you're a parent, you've probably experienced it. The little child will go downstairs or go to your room and they will come and stand before you while you're sleeping, tap you, whatever it is, right? And say, mom, dad, I, I can't sleep. There's a There's a monster upstairs. And so what we normally do is that, man, we just We'll smile at our precious child, and we'll thank them for waking us up at two o'clock in the morning. We'll embrace them. Come on upstairs. Let me show you, right? That's what we would love to do, right? But <laughs> if you're anything like me, yeah, you're holding back, being grumpy and angry that your kid woke you up at two o'clock in the morning. But what we will do is we go upstairs and we go through the whole rational, logical thing, right? We say, hey, look under the bed. There's not a monster in the bed. You lift up the, whatever, you got like a little skirt down there or whatever that thing's called. You know what I'm saying? Like, we don't have any of that. So just <laughs> you look under the bed. There's usually all kinds of toys underneath there. Back in our day, you go in the closet, you'll look through the closet and then you'll say, hey, look, there's nothing in here. Turn the lights on. There's no monster in here. You're okay. You tuck them back in bed. You think that's a good deal. Turn off the lights and then you go back to your room and then what happens in like five minutes? They're back again. And then you're even more happier, right? And the only thing that will calm them down and help them sleep is not the rational, logical proof that there's not a monster in your room. It's when you lay down with them. Something about your presence that calms them. In fact, I would say there's something about your presence that can bring healing for them. Maybe we've grown out of the monster in our bedroom thing, um, but I would say to you, we have not grown out of a longing for presence when we're suffering and we're in pain and we're afraid. Some of us are learning how to celebrate Christmas without a loved one this year. A spouse, a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle. And in your grief, which would you prefer? An explanation of their death or one more hug? an extravagant gift from them or one more meal with them. Presence. That's the longing of every human heart. The beautiful news about Christmas is God does not try and explain your fears or suffering away. Instead, this is what he does. He enters them. He suffered not only for us, but with us. God doesn't simply provide answers for our suffering. He offers something better. He offers us his presence. He's not a God that's way out there or upstairs, however you want to signify him and your terminology of trying to figure out where he is with us. And it's his presence where we find peace. It's his presence where we begin to find healing. It's in his presence that we begin to find comfort. It's in his presence that we actually get hope here. So the promise of Advent, and may we hear this anew and afresh because most of us who grow up in church don't really wrap our minds around what's to say the promise of Advent and what Christmas shouts at us every year is that you're not alone. You're not alone. That No matter the pain and suffering you're experiencing right now, Jesus is right beside you saying, I know it. I know it. And not only do I know it, I am with you. That God took on flesh. He didn't avoid himself from all the pain and the suffering of the world. He entered into it. That's why the incarnation is so gritty. He came. He took on flesh so that we could have a a savior, a high priest that sympathizes with us, that we can Go to him and know that he understands. And not only does he understand that he is with us, his presence is with us, which is our deepest need. As one writer says, the sorrow that feels so isolated, so unique, was endured by him in the past and is now shouldered by him in the present. The promise of Advent is a promise of presence. So here's how I want to close. So last week I had one invitation for you. I wanted you to fix your eyes on Jesus. I have another invitation for you that maybe is synonymous to what I said last week. This one is driven in, or rooted in, not driven, rooted in Hebrews 4.16, the very verse that's right after this high priest who can sympathize with our weakness. It says this, let us then with confidence, say it out loud with me, draw near. I think there's, this is not the only two, but I'm giving you two, all right? And there's probably more. I think there's probably two things that really hinder us from drawing near to Jesus. And Jesus has handled both of those. One of them is sin. I mean, Isaiah 53 is a pretty convicting passage. It's telling us what our condition is. And I'll just read it for verses five through six. But he was pierced because of what? Whose rebellion? Say it out loud. It's my rebellion, your rebellion. He was crushed. Why? Because of who? Our iniquities. The punishment for our peace was what? On him. We are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our, to our own way. And the Lord has punished him, Jesus for the iniquity of us all. Jesus was crushed so that we could be forgiven. Jesus was beaten so that we could be whole and find peace. Jesus was whipped so that we could be healed. It is though he was without sin and rebellion, he absorbed himself the consequence of our own sin and rebellion. So he's done away with this problem that keeps us from him. And that problem is sin. He's dealt with that fully and completely to where you as someone who maybe not isn't even a Christian, like you can go to this throne of grace and receive mercy and grace in your time of need. You can come to him today. You can invite him into your life. And so I just want to encourage you that if you're not a Christian here, then, then, then heed the, the command of the writer of Hebrews, draw near to Jesus through repentance and faith. Draw near to Jesus, own your sin, Put your name in verses five through six. That is us. That's our condition. Own your sin, confess it, repent, and put your faith and trust in Christ who has forgiven, paid that in full so that you can be united with him and be in fellowship with him and be in communion with the father. You see, the cross was not an end of itself. It's a means to an end. And that means to an end is for us to be united with our heavenly father and be in relationship with him. So draw near. Don't allow sin to keep you from drawing near to Jesus. Draw near through repentance and faith in Christ. The second thing that sometimes keeps us from drawing near, and I just want to encourage you, maybe this is you today, is sometimes suffering can. Because in our suffering, in our pain, what we tendency have a tendency to do, especially those who are followers of Jesus Christ, is is that we, um, we deal with like this, um, how else do I say it? Just a lot of cynicism, doubt, confusion, and maybe I can go as far to say it, anger. And it's, it hinders us to draw near to the one that can bring comfort, healing, and hope for us because we feel like I should not be experiencing these things toward God. We doubt, do you really love me? Do you really care? Do you see my situation? We get cynical, oh, I prayed, I prayed and prayed and nothing happened, so maybe prayer doesn't do anything. Actually, I'm kind of angry at you, God, if you're the one that can control all things in mind. Can you, can you step in here? Like, do you see what I'm saying? And that dialogue, Causes you to step back. And Jesus is going, look, guess what? Yeah, maybe, maybe some of that is sin, but I actually paid for that in full on the cross so that you can come with confidence in the midst of your doubt, your cynicism, your anger, your confusion. You can come with confidence because you're not coming on your own merit. You're coming because of my merit and you can come to confidence to the throne of grace and you will receive mercy, mercy. And you will receive grace in your time of need. And when I'm suffering, when I'm in pain, I am also really needy and I need the presence of Jesus. So may we, over the course of this week, find space for us to draw near to this throne of grace so that we can receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Let's pray together. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit SojournChurch.com slash JTown.